It's not really a good, there's not a huge punchline. Actually, there was a fire at the fair and they needed water and so they came to me. And in the middle of the night, it's just kind of one of those weird sounds that you kind of like, that could be a bear. As soon as we start leaving that campsite, he's like, I, I literally can't walk. So I like lived in the camp with yeah. the most good story. I was working that one of the husky games. And the boy comes from like up the stairs and he's like, Pretty crazy, right? I think so. I don't know. Okay, I think I've read that. We were like, oh, well, the next time we come, we're going to come with Emma. So we're at the wrong airport. Like, what do you do when you're at the wrong airport? You know when it takes the picture at the top? There's this person's hand right in front of my face. And I was getting nicer, and I was like, what are you doing? You're freaking out. Thank you, One of the kind of amazing things that I feel like I've experienced that I think is like a spiritual thing or God thing is like the bridge got shut down because there was like this massive oil tanker that like caught on fire. We were praying and, and all of a sudden like the clouds like part. Like I mean this is like weird. It was like the clouds part and we could see base camp. Well, good morning, Cornwall Church. It is so good to be with you this weekend. Uh, for those of you that don't know, my name is Brian Mengel, and I'm our pastor at our Mount Vernon Skagit campus. Uh, so good morning to you watching on the big screen in Skagit, to those in Boca, online, and certainly to all of you here in Bellingham. A big uh, moment in our lives recently was moving. After being in Mount Vernon for a couple of years, we moved uh, to the house we want to grow old in. And with moving, if you've ever moved in your life, you know it involves packing and purging and then organizing. And then on the other side, organizing and purging and unpacking. And as I was unpacking one of our many miscellaneous boxes, I came across this. Now... At a distance, you can't tell what this is. I'll read it. At the top, it says, my lifetime goals and dreams. Now, this was an assignment in my eighth grade homeroom class with Mr. Murphy. Now, the assignment was simple, that we as classmates were to sit and think and reflect and forecast what it is we would do in our life's journey who we'd become and what we'd do, the places we'd go, the things that we'd see. And then Mr. Murphy said, keep this with you always so that as you accomplish those things, you can mark them off. Well, Cornwall, I'm happy to say I have highlighted numerous things on my list. Go to Disney World, travel to Washington, D.C., get a 4.0 average. Thank you. See the Nutcracker? That was painful. Get a car, stay in touch with friends. Now, there are some things on this list I have yet to mark off, like, um, let's see, meet the president, uh, have a pet pig. Not sure what I was thinking there. Uh, let's see, win the lottery, hard because I don't play. Go to the University of Washington. Here's a good one, go deep sea diving. It's on the list, yeah. As I was thinking about this and reading this over, I thought it's funny that in our adolescence, we dream and see our future one way, when God may have a completely different plan for each of us to embark. And when life doesn't play out the way we planned, there are a couple of ways we can respond. We can get bitter and disillusioned. We can turn to a different escape to numb that disappointment. Or somehow, some way, we can find ourselves closer to God through that experience. And that is the case for today's story worth telling. 13 chapters 
chronicle the life of a teenage shepherd boy from a big family who likely had simple goals on his bucket list, but God intercepted for him to accomplish far greater than he ever could have dreamed. Now, for the sake of time, I am going to fly over Joseph's story because it's long and it's detailed. It has more twists and turns than a reality show. So I'm going to go through for you, and it begins in Genesis 27. Genesis 27 begins by setting the scene that Jacob and his family live in the land of Canaan. Joseph is 17, and he's a shepherd, and things aren't all cheery around the dinner table. The elephant isn't just in the room. The elephant is on the dining room table. Joseph is the 11th of 12 sons, and he is Jacob's favorite. And he isn't shy about sharing this fact. Genesis 27 says this. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made him an ornate robe for him. Now pause the story. This is not just any other coat. It was colorful. It was ornate. It was a robe. It was unique. So unique that it caused heads to turn. And for those that saw him to know that's Jacob's favorite. Now, I had to pull a few strings. Don't ask me how I did it. But I was able to secure Joseph's original coat. <clears throat> yes. Now, I was told to try this on in rehearsal, and I didn't. So I'm sure this is going to go really, really well. Okay, yeah. Yes, thank you. Jo Joseph was apparently a little taller and thinner than I, but um, anyway. <clears throat> now, you know that feeling you're having right now, that moment, that feeling of, of jealousy. <laughs> that is the feeling that the brothers had. Actually, maybe it wasn't jealousy. Let's take a look. It says this, so when his brothers saw their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. So you've got Joseph's number one status, this beautiful coat, and now adding insult to injury, we see this. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. We're going to create a quick biography of Joseph, and number one is Joseph was a dreamer. Joseph was a dreamer. In fact, it's one of the great elements of his story. He dreamt himself, and he had the ability to interpret the dreams of others. He said this to them. He said, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. But wait, it gets better. He goes on. He says this. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and 11 stars were bowing down to me. Now, these dreams would be predictive of what was to come, but at the time, these 11 brothers wanted nothing to do with what Joseph had been sharing with them. So they create a plan. At first, the plan was, let's kill Joseph. We'll blame it on a ferocious animal. But then Judah had a realization, we can get rid of Joseph and profit from it. We see this in Genesis. It says, come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother and our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. It's nice. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up from the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him 
to Egypt. Okay, so just stop for a moment. Put yourself in Joseph's shoes. You're 17, you're the favored son of the family. Your father's chosen you to be head of the family and given you a beautiful coat to symbolize that fact. And then in a blip of time, it's all gone. You're stripped of your coat, you're betrayed by those that love you, you're separated from your father and you're sold off for less than $100. Joseph now a slave. Joseph becomes a slave. And as Joseph is carted off, the brothers return home to tell Jacob the bad news. P.S., they go with the ferocious animal story. And while jo Jacob is mourning, the Ishmaelites sell off Joseph again in Egypt to Potiphar, the captain of the guard. And there, despite the situation, Joseph will prosper. Make a mental note of that. We'll pick up on it later. We see this about at Potiphar's house. Joseph found favor in his, Potiphar's, eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put in, him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. Things seemed to be turning around from a slave to a house manager. God's blessings are abundant. But then he gets into some trouble. It says this, Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. Suddenly, this young man in his 20s is presented with temptation. But Joseph remained above reproach. Joseph remains above reproach. He took seriously what Paul would later write to the Corinthians to flee or to run away from sexual immorality. He was above reproach. But it goes on to say this. My master has withheld nothing from me except you. Joseph talking to her. Because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. But Potiphar's wife was persistent. It says this. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left the cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. While doing the right thing, he could not escape yet another setback. And when his master, it goes on, when his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. And Joseph's master took him and put him in the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. So now we add to his biography, his resume, that Joseph was a prisoner. But while in prison, he would find favor in the eyes of the warden, and Joseph was given responsibility even in prison. The Bible says the warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care. So while in prison, Joseph would demonstrate his ability as an interpreter. This would be his ticket out of prison, in fact, Sometime later, we see the story continue, and Pharaoh upstairs has a problem. It says, Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them into custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. Now, each of these former royal employees had a dream that same night that they were put into prison. And the next morning, Joseph interprets both. Now, for the baker, 
not great news. In fact, you can read verse 19 for the all-too-detailed details, but for the cupbearer, it was good news. It was great news. In fact, his job would be restored. And Joseph had one request for this piece of good news that he shared. He says this, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. Seems like a a reasonable request. But the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. And two years would pass. Two years. But Joseph was not alone. He was not forgotten. God, God did not stop writing his story. It's then that Pharaoh has a set of dreams as well that don't make sense to him and his magicians and his wise men. They can't help And just then, the cupbearer is reminded of a one-time cellmate who happens to have an ability to interpret dreams. Pharaoh sends for him, and Joseph, in front of Pharaoh, says this boldly. I cannot do it. Interpret your dreams. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. And he did. The dream forecasts seven good years, then seven years of famine, and the need for someone to take point of it all. And Pharaoh says to Joseph this, Since God has made all of this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Joseph, now an overseer. An overseer, second in command. That famine he forecast about, it would happen. It would drive Joseph's brothers to Egypt for food, and they would not recognize him. The last time they saw him, he was being sold off as a slave. So for someone who had every reason then for retribution with his brothers in front, Joseph was compassionate. What the brothers did was wrong, but God used them to accomplish his overall good purpose. Joseph revealed his identity without any retaliation, using, realizing that God had used the famine for reconciliation. Joseph forgave his brothers, realizing God was up to something bigger. And at 110 years old, Joseph would die with his family by his side. Whether that story is new to you or not, I, I got to believe you have to think, what a story, what a life he lived, what a roller coaster of events. And it might even be easy to think Joseph the victim of this story. But I would offer that early on, Joseph realized that God was ultimately in control of things, all things. Because the truth is, God is never surprised by our circumstances, God's never surprised by our circumstances. What happens does not catch God off guard. In the orchestra of life, God is the composer and the conductor. He's the builder of the boat and the captain of the ship. And with the foreknowledge of what's to come in your life, God stands at the ready to stand by your side. Consider the fact that despite all of these different circumstances, God protected Joseph. He protected him. He kept him safe. While it might seem like Joseph was the star of this ultimate tragedy, a change in our perspective would say that God placed everything where it needed to be 
when it needed to be there. At the exact moment that Joseph would interact with people in situations. Unknowing accomplices, helping accomplish the purpose of a sovereign God. The intervention of Reuben, Judah's idea to sell off Joseph and not kill him. The appearance of the Ishmaelite traders. What if they hadn't been coming over the hill at that moment? What if Judah hadn't suggested, let's not kill him? God orchestrated protection. And in 2018, God orchestrates protection for us. Because it's an innate need that each of us has. The need to feel protected. The need for us to feel safe. To have an assurance that we are covered. Even when things seem to be out of control. I've been here on this platform a couple of times. And by now you know there's a certain park in Southern California that I'm fancy for. This is a new attraction at that park. It's called the Incredicoaster. It's a reimagined roller coaster. And what I understand about it is it accelerates riders from zero to 55 miles per hour in four seconds. And what follows are twists and turns and drops and tunnels, but riders need not worry. There are these amazing restraints that come down and hold you tight so that you can enjoy the ride knowing your protection is covered. Life is a lot like the Incredicoaster. You don't know when and where drops and turns will be, but you know they're inevitable. And you can be assured God has got you covered. It's a promissory statement made over and over in Scripture. We see it in Joshua 1.9. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you. In Isaiah, he says this. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I'll help you. I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand. And in Deuteronomy, it says this. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. A common word, it's with. God is saying, I'm proximate to you. Just as God protected Joseph, his protection of us is always right there. In other words, God's reminding us, even in our darkest valleys, God doesn't desert us. Even in the darkest of valleys, God does not desert us. Four times, four different times in Joseph's story, we see moments when God was with him, proximate to him. The Lord was with Joseph, and therefore he prospered. But while Joseph was in prison, the Lord was with him. This week, I read a story about a woman named Molly Monroe. In the span of just a couple of years, she would lose her mother her husband, and her son. Her friends who would come alongside her would ask, how could you find the strength to go on? How can you be courageous? And where is God in the midst of your circumstances? She replied with this quote. She said, the treasures that I have discovered most about God were in the midst of the darkness of moments. I discovered God in the darkness of moments. Sure, she had moments of anger and confusion and frustration and sadness at God and with God because it wasn't in her plan to lose her entire family. And yet at the same time, the unwavering truth is this, that God had not deserted her. Maybe, in fact, quite the opposite. He was closer than ever before. 
Even in the darkest valley, Molly trusted God was with her. Now, sometimes it's hard to remember that in our low moments of life. But God is at work in the midst of the details in accomplishing good purposes. Knowing that God's storyline is unfolding, even in bleak and confusing times, allows us to live freely as Christ followers, without fear. It's the reason that David could write this. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, because why? You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This simple word affirms to us that God was with Joseph, he's with Molly, and he's with us. It's an affirmation of Emmanuel is true, God with us. So perhaps it's a bigger idea. Since God knows what our life will entail, maybe God's more interested in our response. In our response, in how we react when we're put in those tough situations. Situations true of Joseph and of us today. Times when you're minding your own business and you're thrown into a pit. Or maybe a modern day example when you're thrown under the bus. Or maybe when you interpret a dream or today you do someone a favor and that person forgets. Or maybe when you have someone you love betray you and forget. Or maybe when you're wrongfully accused and you face the consequences anyway. In those real-life situations, what do you do? How do you react? The circumstances of Joseph's life were not by coincidence. One commentator even suggests that, that God could have propelled Joseph from 17 all the way to second in command, but he didn't. Instead, he used life events to prepare Joseph. God prepared Joseph for what was coming. Many people became instrumental in his character formation and his leadership preparation. Consider that for Joseph, every interaction taught him about people, how to treat people, how to love people, how to forgive people, how to trust people, and how not to put hope in people because people will let us down. Remember the cupbearer? Every promotion taught him about leadership, how to manage, how to organize, how to lead with humility. Joseph would be an amazing Global Leadership Summit speaker. Every lonely moment taught him about reliance, how in quiet moments of our lives, when it's just you and God, you still have to lean in and listen closely. Every setback taught him about resilience and built his faith. Just because you're going through trials in your life does not mean God isn't blessing you. Hear that. You might not see him moving right now, but trust him, he's there. It's this idea that you're down, but you're not out. You've probably heard that, maybe you've been on a sports team. You're down, but you're not out. This was the case on September 27th, 2011. This was the scene, the L.A. Dodgers and the Arizona Diamondbacks. Quite the nail-biter. The Diamondbacks down 6-1. Two outs, two strikes, bases empty, bottom of the 10th. Then one batter walked in, another batter walked in. Suddenly the base is loaded, and it's 6-3. And Ryan Roberts steps to the plate. First pitch, left field, bleachers, gone. Grand slam. 
The Diamondbacks win it 7-6. This is the scene as he runs home. They were down, but they weren't out. You might be down in the count, but God is faithful in pitching you situations so that you can hit a home run for his glory, his purpose, and for your story. Paul realized this. It's why he would write this in 2 Corinthians. We are hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Bottom line, your story is not finished yet. But the materializing of what God has for you can only be discovered through the persevering through the trials of your life. And it might be difficult, more than might. It is difficult in the moment to see that suffering is temporary, but it is. Can you imagine if Joseph had thrown in the towel when it was full count and the bases were loaded? You see, God is very serious about preparation. He uses people and places and situations to get us ready for what is next. And in Joseph's case, it was a promotion. God promoted Joseph. He promoted him first within his family, then within uh, Potiphar's estate, then under Pharaoh's rule, a promotion that happened just at the right time. It would save thousands of people. A teenager who shepherded sheep would become a shepherd to thousands. And in every promotion, in every instance, Joseph would rise and meet the occasion. Luke 16.10 says, whoever can be trusted with very little can be trusted with much. The trials you're going through and do go through and have gone through test and challenge us to trust God to see him in desperate situations and to equip you for what is coming. It's why Joseph told Pharaoh, I can't do what you're asking me to do, but God can. Joseph would make God the hero. I suspect that if there was a talk show in heaven, Joseph would be a great interview, a rags-to-riches story, how a teenager rose to second-in-command under Pharaoh. And I suspect early in the interview, he would say something like, well, let me tell you, it sure wasn't easy. The ups and the downs, and the triumphs and the disappointments, the wins, the failures. And then I wonder if he'd say something to the effect of a reminder that God works all things together for good. Every moment, every interaction, every night in prison, every dream, God was working together things for good, albeit it was not easy. But no one said following after Christ is easy. And Paul knew that firsthand. It's why he would write it down so that thousands of years later, the church would be mindful. In Romans 8, it says this, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. What a battle cry for the church. We know, know is stronger here than believe and affirm and trust. The truth of this verse is that we know something to our core. We know that all things, not some things, all is fully encompassing. Nothing gets past God. Everything that is, is in his purview. So we know that all things are work together for good because he's a good, good father that wants good for those who love him. God's in your corner and he orchestrates all things together for a single purpose, for good. 
Granted, that's easier to say and believe when we're riding the wave of good. But maybe even more critical to say and believe when we're alone and walking in the valley. I stand in front of you and I still don't know why my father-in-law lost his life to cancer in April. A man who had touched so many and chased after Christ so passionately. And it's often that Shauna and I will sit and have tear-filled moments and ask, why? And God's response to me in quiet moments is the same each and every time. He says, Brian, I've got Steve. And Brian, I've still got you. So maybe this side of heaven, I don't get to know the purpose for good in Steve's passing. But I get to trust and believe that despite trials and speed bumps and red lights along the way, even then and even there, God is working all things together for my good. So what do we take away from Joseph's journey? I think a couple of things. Knowing, one, that God protects us. Understanding that God is always preparing us. Preparing us so that he can promote us for whatever's next. The truth is God will accomplish far more than we could ever imagine when we allow his plans to supersede our plans. When we give up our eighth grade assignment bucket list for what God has planned instead, our brain capacity, it's limited. God's is not. In our finite thinking, we look and see and formulate plans that we think would be great. But God is infinite, and so that means he can think far greater and has a special plan for each one of us far better than you could ever imagine. You know that spare room in your home, the one that's intended for guests? What if God has it planned for you to use that room in the home he's provided you for someone looking for a place to go that needs to get away, a safe spot? Whatever you do for a living, is that it? Or is it possible that God has up his sleeve for you to use the skills you've acquired and the lessons you've learned to pack up and go? We have someone, a couple, even in this church that's doing just that. Cornwall attenders Chris and, and Katie Henry have recently felt led to leave home literally pack up and go to San Pedro, Belize. And I, I know Chris is here. I, I hope that, are you both here today? Yes. I asked Chris the question that maybe everyone's asking Chris. Why? He wrote back so much good. He explains part and says this, we've given up the homes and the cars. We've opened our door to those in need, told them freely to take from our home what they want, and if God can do what he's done with a cast of misfits like the disciples and Abraham and Paul and prostitutes and tax collectors, that gives me hope. Hope that God can take a broken vessel like me and carry water to those who are thirsty. I followed up the question. I said, so what will you be doing? What is God calling you to do? His answer, I don't 100% know what I'm supposed to do there. I love that. I know I'm supposed to be there. I know my wife's skills as a nurse are needed. My skills in building are needed. 
God has people from Cornwall, North Carolina, and so many other places knitting together one of the most beautiful tapestries, and I can't begin to imagine how magnificent the final product will be. It will likely involve building homes in a poor area that Katie and I visited where our hearts were struck for. God has brought together so many people from my past with people in the present to do something amazing, but I have no idea what it's going to, tra- what's going to be, what's going to transpire when I get there, but I'm open to what God has in store. God has a special plan for Chris and Katie. He had a special plan for Joseph, and he has a special plan for your life as well. Several years ago, when Shauna and I were at a life transition point, deciding what God had for us next, I heard this song on the radio, and the chorus says this, let me dream for you. I am strong when you're weak, and I'll carry you. So let go of your plan, take hold of my hand, and I'll show you what I can do when I dream for you. I mean, don't you believe that God can out-dream you I mean, just ask Mary, mother of Jesus, if raising the Son of God was part of her plan. Or if David, the heart-playing shepherd, if becoming king was on his bucket list. God has different plans in mind. Maybe closer to home, right here at Cornwall, ask Pastor Michael about serving in refineries before being called as our children's pastor. Or ask Kip about being an army colonel for years and years before being called into the pastoral ministry. Ask Pastor Jeff about serving as vice president of a local paper company. The opportunity to be part partner of this company and then being called to serve as our executive pastor. Ask Pastor Mike about being an industrial engineer before being called as our go and be pastor. Or talk to me about being a radio DJ for over a decade before being called to be a pastor. What might we as Christ followers look like if we took on that mentality? If we said this, God, I know the roller coaster is going to be bumpy at times, and I don't really know what this track looks like, but I know you've got me safe and secure, so my hands are going up, and I'm going to enjoy the ride. So here's the challenge. The Joseph challenge for you is asking yourself, how is God calling you up for his service? How is God calling you up for his service? What is it that God might have in store for you? What has he prepared you to do? And maybe that's at work, in your neighborhood, here at Cornwall, or maybe like the Henrys, it's somewhere around the world. And then, when you've identified it, Are you ready to say yes? Are you ready for a great adventure? And when you are, follow Joseph's model. It's simple. Trust and wait, listen and go. Trust that God has got you. He's your restraints. He's your protection. He'll keep you safe. Wait for what's next. Remember, it was two years in prison as Joseph waited and waited and waited for what was next. Then listen for direction to know what it is you're called to do. And then maybe most important, get on the edge and go. Go for it. Don't find a million reasons why not. Just go. Trust and wait and listen and go. It's the intent behind the lyrics of a song you likely know by John Samus. He said, trust and obey. 
For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus is to trust and obey. Trust and obey. It's Joseph's story in a nutshell. And it's why it's a story worth telling.